Step into the confession. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Uh, I think something's wrong with our audio. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. Welcome to the Clergy Confessions Podcast. We're committed to sharing truly awful experiences of ministers in complete anonymity. Without fear of reprisal, our guests can tell you their stories in full details. To protect the innocent, we've altered their voice and taken out context clues. So good luck trying to guess who these folks are. And if you're trying to, it might be time to change your priorities. And don't mistake these stories in an indictment of the church, as each episode is capped off with guidance on healthier approaches when facing moments of turmoil and conflict. In other words, we're not dumping on the church and we're not dumping on vocational ministry. Welcome to the confessional. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Most ministers should be able to easily do that in the two days a week they work. So, um, I mean, I don't know how you screw things up in two days. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do this first one. Uh, so uh, to our first guest, uh, welcome to Clergy Confession. What's your story that needs to be told? Thanks for having me, and I'm excited to uh, be on this inaugural program with you all. I came to work at uh, 8 o'clock early one morning, and the church secretary was standing by my office door, patting her foot, nervously waiting for me to get there. Yeah, just a quick quick clarification. Um, which which day of the week was this? This was on uh, Thursday. Oh yeah, that you know that's a minister's Friday, uh, essentially. So things go super awry on a Thursday for sure. Well, I was not the pastor, so I had to work uh, five days a week to clean up the mess you all had made in two days a week. <laughs> all right, Too and sure. just yeah, just quick clarification to. Um, I was trying by to tell my story here. Well, by padding foot, I just want to get a visual. What do you mean by padding the foot? She was nervous and agitated. She was standing with her arms crossed. She was padding her foot, nervously oh, okay. waiting for me to get okay. in the office. And I was early that particular day. So immediately when you walk into the situation, you, your, your EQ immediately goes on edge because you know this is going to be a really difficult thing that I'm about to deal with right now. Somebody's not happy. Something is wrong, and I'm fixing to find out what it is. Okay. Sorry. Proceed. We go in, sit down. Uh, what's going on? How can I help? And she handed me a piece of paper. On that paper was a love note that had been written by one of our staff, to our pastor it was like a like a valentine like a will you uh, be mine kind of love note or what 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 was the what would you say the, the, very explicit i enjoyed being with you yesterday love note like a song of songs but like a more modern inappropriate relationship love note like uh, the pastor and the staff member are having an affair. Okay. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. All right. Go ahead. The secretary then, uh, after I read it and gave an expletive or two, 
She then said, what are you going to do about this? <laughs> I, was, I was the executive pastor and was very loyal to our pastor. And, and I thought very good friends with that pastor. And um, I didn't think it was mine to solve. But I did think it was mine to watch and to give leadership to and hope to God what I was holding in my hand was not what it appeared to be. So like just to clarify real quick on the note, because I think it's important for the story and to understand where you are in the situation. The note was a one sided note, but it very explicitly was laying out some events that had transpired so it wasn't like just one person saying i love you i wish we could be together it was hey i really enjoyed this thing that happened when we were playing you know on the swing set yesterday uh well they weren't on the swing set but they okay. were having a very nice ride okay so it was more like the jungle gym than the swing set <laughs> <laughs> you take that wherever you want i have no okay. idea the seesaw is also equally great place, but so clearly we're using playground equipment as a euphemism today. That's good to know. Yeah, I was just in case. For, uh, the horse that you put the quarter in outside of Kmart. Okay. Yeah, it well, doesn't last very long though. You you put that quarter in and then quickly it's it's gone. So okay, go ahead, go ahead. At that point, I said to her, "We're gonna just watch this." We're going to pay attention to what's happening, and uh, you and I are going to be uh, keeper of this secret. On Monday, I came in. She was in my office waiting for me, and the financial secretary was in the office waiting for me, and they gave me another note, equally explicit and uh, equally damaging. The pastor had a hideaway office in a sort of deserted part of the building and they would rendezvous there from time to time. Uh, he was throwing her love notes away in the trash can. The custodian was going through his trash wow. and bringing the love notes uh, to the church secretary. So still to this point, just, I mean, just for your sake, you talk about a sense of loyalty, a sense of deep friendship to this person, but then you've got these two people. Sometimes you run in situations in church where sometimes drama can be created. Sometimes things can be said and you're trying to differentiate between, is this, you know, is this a made up situation? Is this a real situation? Oh, by the way, why is the janitor going through somebody's trash? That's, that's a pretty unique situation. Well, the janitor had seen uh, frequent visits between these two staff. So he knew something was going on. And uh, so now, instead of uh, me and the church secretary, it's me, the church secretary, the pastor secretary, actually, uh, me, the pastor secretary, the custodian, and the financial secretary. And we are all now keepers of the secret. Uh, I... I am not one to keep that kind of secret very long. Holding, holding those kinds of secrets are dangerous for everyone. So, uh, 
after the second note arrived, I, I uh, watched some things happen that were uh, overt and uh, scary. And at that point, I was I was really hurt at what was happening. I was really angry at being put in that position, and I was probably over-functioning as a leader in the system, trying to be, um, trying to be a less anxious presence for my staff, and trying to protect the church from what was about to be a shitstorm. So what does that, what does that feel like in that moment? Because that's, like hearing you just describe this, I imagine it's been uh, knowing you and knowing what you've been doing years ago, you know, well, go back to that feeling, uh, that pressure, uh, that anxiety, all those things that you were feeling inside as you were dealing with it. Um, even as I'm telling you this story, and I've shared this story in some version in other places. Uh, I'm sick to my stomach. I got a knot in my stomach right now as I'm telling you. Uh, my throat is tight. Uh, my shoulders all of a sudden got really tight. So I, I still feel uh, the tension from being put in that place. Uh, trying to balance. I, I didn't have agenda with anyone. Uh, at that point, two friends and colleagues had put the church in a real bad place. I was trying to protect the church at that point. And um, I, was, I was the only person with any power or leadership responsibility that knew the secret. So... Um. Sounds like a lot. It sounds like you probably don't want some little jerk interrupting your story to give color commentary. So, so what happened? What happened next? What happened next is after the second note and some actions that I thought were inappropriate, I went to the chair of the personnel committee and I went to the man who had been the chair of my search committee, who was probably uh, one of the most trusted men in the church, and certainly the man I trusted the most in the church. I showed them the love notes. I shared with them more anecdotal information. And the three of us decided that we had to have some outside help to navigate what was going on. So we called up a well-respected counselor went to the counselor, uh, showed him the notes, told him the story. And at that point, uh, after a couple of visits, uh, he said we, we had to confront the pastor and try to stop what was going on. Uh, at that point, the pastor, the pastor's job could have been saved. Um, and the staff member's job probably could have been saved if they had just backed away and uh, put some boundaries in place. Um, 
that didn't happen, and so we set up a lunch meeting with the pastor, myself, Chair Deacon, the man who was the chair of my search committee, and the pastor. And um, we had a about a twenty-minute lunch. We were off campus. We had been advised to go off campus, have the confrontation, and. Um, so I began the conversation by saying, uh, I know you're wondering why the four of us are here, and we've got a problem we need to deal with, and you are the man that we need to talk about this morning, or lunch. And I slid one of the love notes across the paper, uh, the, across the table to him, and he read the letter and he said, um, this is, this is not what it seems. I'm, I'm guessing y'all have jumped way to conclusions that are not correct. And I probably should pay more attention to what I throw in my trash can. So, all right, just to clarify one, one thing, and you're at a restaurant having this conversation? We're in a private private room in a country club okay i thought you said restaurant and i just imagined y'all are having the serious conversation and some lady comes up she's like well you have sweet yeah, sweet tea your dr pepper <laughs> no we were, in a, we were in a private room uh, the counselor had scripted everything uh he told us the kind of place we needed to meet he told us how the conversation needed to go um and he said that because the information had come to me, I had to be the one to confront the pastor. Um, so we're in a private room. I pass that around, pass that across to him. He tells me, he tells us, uh, this is not what it seems. He will have a conversation with her. Um, there will be no more bad behavior. And blah 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 and we say we love you we say thank you and uh we'll check back in let's let's meet again in a month and see how things are going and so we we left and um i left knowing my job was done i was i would probably be fired uh, because he was not one to take confrontation lightly. So in the next month, rather than um, stopping the relationship, rather than slowing down the relationship, rather than hiding and being more careful, they ramped it up. And uh, I, I was presented another letter, two pages, that described a pretty pretty detailed description of how much the staff member had enjoyed being with the pastor and um, then i knew it wasn't over i knew he had lied to us i knew we were being played went back to the three uh, the two guys we went back to the counselor 
and he said, you gotta, you gotta lay us out, and at that point, he turned to the two guys and said, um, y'all need to go to the deacon body and take this, uh, to them, um, the language he used is, uh, there is an inappropriate relationship happening in the staff. He wouldn't call it an affair uh, or any other word that we might use, but he said you'd have to call it an inappropriate relationship because while you have these letters that are very suggestive, um, you don't have pictures or, you know, evidence, hard evidence that suggests something's going on. So You haven't caught them playing on the jungle gym together in the church? No, we have not. No, okay. um, so at that point, um, we had another meeting with the pastor. He said everything's taken care of. We've put, we've set proper boundaries. We're being appropriate with each other. And I slid another note across the table, and uh, he grabbed hold of the table. And said, I've had it with the three of you. And then he uh, let out a string of expletives and said, with a pointed finger, I'm going to destroy the three of you. And he got up and walked out of the room. And so um, at that point, uh, they went back to the deacons. The deacons hired a lawyer. The lawyer did interviews of all of the support staff, all of the ministerial staff, and um, at that point, all of the ministers knew something was going on. They didn't know what. They didn't have the evidence that I had, but um, it was evident that something was going on. The lawyer put a gag order on each of us. Uh, he interviewed us, took whatever information he was looking for, and said we, we were not to speak to anyone about it. We could not speak to anyone about it for um, thinking a lawsuit, you know, might could be in the offing if we spoke out of turn. And so we couldn't say anything to anybody. We could hardly even talk to each other. Uh, staff meetings were a lot of fun. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, <clears throat> anybody who's ever been on a staff before, when there's some sort of drama or dynamics happening, even with a church member, you know, Sunday mornings feel like like walking on a tightrope of drama and everybody feels on edge. So I can't even, I mean, this, this kind of situation where it's not wrapping up in a week. You're talking about months probably of dealing with this. And then trying to lead and guide people as you're dealing with that personal anxiety. Well, at the height of um, the affair and the conflict, would you like to guess what he was preaching on? Please tell me it was like a verse by verse of of Song of Songs, or every passage was like Ruth sitting at the feet of Boaz um, or something along those lines. David and Bathsheba for COVID. <laughs> not kidding. I'm not but kidding. It, 
<laughs> oh, but, uh, it's David and Bathsheba. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> well, I can't tell you what I was saying, but. He know. never got, let me guess, he never got to that uh, confrontation passage. Uh, no, we had, we had done that on the front end. I guess that's what happened. <laughs> uh, it was just awful. It was awful. And uh, so the Dinkins finally uh, voted to ask for the resignation of both of those staff. Um, the minister, who, the staff minister resigned on the spot and left the church, cleaned out her office overnight and was gone. And um, the pastor decided to fight it. He slandered uh, me and the two men who had been in on the initial conversation and made up stuff and took other things and turned them in a different way and uh, manipulated the situation uh, until finally uh, we had a business meeting. 800 people showed up for the church business meeting. Uh, it was sad to the church. There was an inappropriate relationship between the pastor and the staff minister. Uh, the staff minister had resigned, and we were there that night to decide on what we were going to do with the pastor. <clears throat> and the staff sat on the back row of the church and held hands and prayed. I didn't look up. My wife was on one side of me, and another staff member on the other side, and we were all holding hands and praying to ourselves while uh, the meeting was going on. and. Finally, the church voted like 500 to 20 to uh, fire the pastor. We paid him a year's severance and uh, off he rode into the sunset. Okay. All right. Last question. I'm going to let Brian get to this. I want to know, I would love to do an interview with the 20. <laughs> like, what were, what were your reasons? Like, you know, maybe they got it wrong or we should have grace in the situation. But before, you know, I could even get to that question. The fact that he got a year's severance after all of this, um, I'm hoping all of our ministers that have been fired on the spot or asked to leave and got nothing. Uh, but this guy got a year. Uh, it's absolutely insane. Um, all right. All right, Brian, I'm going to let you unpack that one. Do you want me to start from the end? I mean, you know, what I learned, <laughs> what I learned is even if you're in the wrong, dig your heels in, deny and deflect. Classic. It, it was classic bad behavior. Did the counselor ever give like a diagnosis of a textbook narcissist for this pastor or? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we were dealing with. Um, my hunch is there were other affairs in some, maybe in that church, probably in another church. Um, but there were women in and out of his office on a regular basis. So, yeah, classic narcissism. So obviously we can, we can 
talk about boundaries and all of those pieces would be huge takeaways. But I think one of the things you said to me that are said to us that, that I find really fascinating is that holding these secrets are dangerous for everyone. When I, when I think about how we often hold on to these difficult things, unsure of what to do with them because of either fear of a confrontation or fear of being accused of something else or being attacked for, for holding on to something like this. We sit with this toxicity. Right? And so, so I wonder sometimes for, for congregations, how do we, how do we begin to become comfortable with being uncomfortable? Because, because to, to take those secrets to the next step to where they are, light is shown upon them. Um, takes courage, knowing knowing that you're probably going to get um, your your shins kicked in the process, <laughs> right? Well, and then my shins, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the system was already toxic. Uh, this pastor led; he managed by segment, so. He would go to one segment of the church and tell them something. He'd go to another segment of the church and tell them something. And there were about four segments that he was trying to juggle. And it would have been a lot easier just to say, this is this is who we're going to be. And y'all are welcome to go with us or not. But a narcissist could never make that kind of stand. Well, they also think that they can manipulate the situation to, you know, alter the, the reality uh, to their own view and, and bring people along with them. Um, whereas, for, I think when we talk about this for, for congregation members, whether they're staff or, or staff, staff members or lay uh, folks in the church, that this just highlights why it's so important that we, that we have conversation, that we have healthy systems set up to discuss these things, because inevitably what happens is somebody's getting triangled. Yeah. And in this yeah. case, the segments of the congregation were getting triangled. So keeping secrets, especially of this magnitude, I, I should not have held that secret. I should have gone to somebody with power and given it to them and then got out of the way. But I felt a responsibility in my leadership position, rightly or wrongly. And um, that triangle me deeper into the situation. I can imagine like hearing you say that. I mean, obviously hindsight's 2020 in the situation, but even hearing you describe uh, the relationship you had with this pastor, the respect you had to a certain extent, it's one of those things that when things like this happen, you want to make sure it's accurate before you just, go create problems that aren't there. I mean, I've been a part of churches before where you've got a, an admin who is, fr fl you know, flustered with their job and thinks they, you know, are more deserving of a, you know, better compensation package and will generate loosely based stories. And, you know, you go willy nilly to the deacon board over this thing. And the next thing you know, you've got even more difficult situations. So I wonder, you know, what is the balance between being the recipient of unwelcome news and vetting that unwelcome news before taking action on that unwelcome news. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I said we need to just watch this. I, I couldn't run. And even though that first note was 
you know, pretty indicative of what was going on. Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't act on that. I, I needed more than just a note from a custodian who, you know, I don't know the relationship that that custodian had with the pastor, but uh, it, it wasn't a trusting relationship. Obviously, he was going through his trash, so something was going on. Uh, so I had to hold it for a little while. Right. Uh, well, well, you know, but, but at the same time, and I think this is a really important point, Andy asked you a great question about how, how does it feel telling the story now? Um, and, and essentially your, your body remembers the trauma. Right? Oh, yeah. Even if we, even if we do the mental work, the spiritual work, even our body still remembers the trauma and we carry that into future ministry positions. But even if, even if we're not consciously remembering it, our body sure is. I, I would equate it to PTSD. Um, it helps to tell the story. Um, but it's hard to tell the story, even now. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine because it's it's one of those things that you... We, no minister ever wants to face that. Uh, but yet, here's a situation where not only do you have to face it, then you have to deal with it and then relive it over and over again. Yeah, and as a staff member in, in the middle of the conflict, when you walk down the hall, you're, you're wondering what you might bump into around the corner. Then on Sunday morning, once once the secret is being talked about, on Sunday morning, people are choosing up sides. You wonder who's going to come at you or who's going to support you or who's going to ignore you. So a whole lot of paranoia after that, especially because the pastor was on the attack and I had a gag order. Yeah. So it, it was pretty tense time. Uh, Quickly, I went to therapy to help work through some of that. I had a great counselor. Well, and, and I'm glad you did. But, I, you know, one of the other things that I'm, in hearing this story that I'm thankful was present for you is that you were able to identify the leaders in the church that needed to be brought into the conversation um, and, that, and that they stepped into that space with you. Yeah. It, it, it would have been easy for them to say, oh, well, you know, um, let's just, this will go away. This will eventually stop. But, but they didn't. They, they stepped into that space with you. They were, they were really good friends. Um, and they were really good supporters. There was, there was one other person I would have liked to have gone into conversation with who would have been a real pillar of the church, but he had just gone through open-heart surgery, and he was not available. At least I didn't think he was available. So that's kind of where I went, how I went. Well, I, I think it's, it's you know, one of the big takeaways is how important it is to, to know um, and trust the leadership of your church to do the right thing. Uh, and I think it's important for any 
lay leaders or congregational leaders who are listening to this to recognize that um, that sometimes we have to do hard things in positions of leadership. Sometimes we have to step into places that are um, that are ugly that we we would prefer to run away from. Um, but we're talking about we're talking about God's church, and and we're put in those places to lead and trusted to lead. And that's not just a, a human function. That's part of God's agency and having, having us there for that time, for such a time as this, right? Right. And I, I take my call very seriously. And uh, the call to lead is sometimes difficult. This was, at this point in my life, it was the most adult thing I've ever had to do. And I didn't want to hurt anyone in the process. I, and that's probably that's probably another mistake I made was trying to keep everybody safe in all this. There wasn't any way that was going to happen ultimately. And Brad, something you said and something that our guest was saying earlier that sticks out to me is the importance of building those relationships with your congregation. You know, I'm just imagining many ministers, you know, because of the busyness of their work. Um, are going about the planning and implementation of so many different ministries that fail to get to know people on a personal level outside of congregational time. And the fact that it feels like you had taken the time to build that respect and that mutual trust so that heaven forbid a situation like this happened, you felt like you could go to some people and to talk to some people in confidence versus if you don't have those relationships, you feel like you're stepping even more out on a ledge to talk to people about that could just be loyalist to another staff member and not to say you want to create factions, but having those, you know, a uh, few people you feel like are on your, on your side and understand you and respect you and trust you. Um, so that can help you work through these things when that happens, I think is absolutely critical. Let, let me flip this the question for you for just a minute. You, you've just given some really good advice for clergy in these situations. What would you say to congregational leaders in a situation like, not necessarily just like this, but um, in anticipation that something like this could happen in your church? Um, how, how do you en- encourage and prepares the wrong word, but... Um, help help lay leaders congregational leaders um be invested in well to be invested well that's a great question uh, i think to be a praying community mm-hmm. uh, and and to really uh, walk the walk of being a person of christ and a member of the church uh, the the two people that I chose to go to were deeply invested in the life of the church. And they were deeply invested in me. So uh, that, and there were others I probably could have gone to, but these two were closest to me. So that's where I went. But for lay folks, when, when one of your pastors comes asking for a relationship, make space for them. Um, it, it, it's a little harder if you go and initiate that kind of relationship. If a lay person comes to me and says, I want to be your best friend, 
I I get a little nervous. I get a little nervous about that. Yeah, absolutely. But and, if if a pastor comes to me and says, "Can we go to lunch? Can we go to lunch on a regular basis?" and that friendship evolves organically, to be open to having that relationship with your pastor and uh, live into that as as best you can. Now, the only other thing I would add to that is something you said. You take your call very seriously. Um, congregational leaders take take your calls very seriously as well. Absolutely. Well, well I guess, am grateful. Yeah. Thanks for uh, entering into the confessional here. How do you feel? Um, I'll be fine in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> As most people say that spend time with the two of us, there's one of you that sends my teeth on edge, but we're not going to identify which one that is. So neither of you did that this morning. You made it, you made it easy and inviting. So I appreciate that. Well, um, anything there you want to talk about? There's, there's a lot there to talk about, but. Well, I mean, we, we unpack so many of the takeaways with him. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. You know, one thing to think, again, you know, when you're good Christian people, you know, this uh, righteous, holy sense of calling that sometimes the naivety that can come with that, that it's important to like remember that you might need a good lawyer sometimes you know because imagine imagine if the evidence hadn't been there you're talking about multiple lawsuits and long-term litigation and um last time i checked most churches aren't willing to pay for that no not at all and, and i think the other piece to recognize in that you know, you use the word naivete um, to to realize that this stuff. This stuff happens in the church just as much as it happens in the, in any other office place. Um, we we don't want to think that, and and maybe saying just as much as overstating it. But um, it's still an organization led by people who do human things, and um. You know, the damage, the damage that is done to congregants when something like this happens, right? I mean, this, this, this church has probably still got remnants of this mess in its DNA. Hmm. I mean, it yeah, has to. You know, yeah. You know, the other thing that comes to mind too, um, I just, you know, for congregations that are dealing with this, this, there's got to be a sense of accountability um, at every single level. And, and I'm not saying that congregations need to develop like rigid checks and balance systems for their congregations, but maybe it's a more of a testament to these staff members that were in the situation that were, you know, guilty in the situation you know, what are you doing in your week as a minister? If you have enough time for that 
And, and, you know, what safeguards, not to say that everybody's just going to fall into affairs. That's not what I'm saying, but like we can develop unhealthy habits that sometimes will not affect anybody else except ourselves. And, and what safeguards can we put in place and how can we recognize those things and build those relationships by which we can not get to the point where any negative habit, even if it's just affecting ourselves, steamrolls to such a, a point of magnitude where we're disconnected from people that we have time in our given week to, to have an affair. I mean, I just can't even, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> yeah. It takes, <laughs> takes too much energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, seriously think about it. It's like, I, I'm thinking back on my last week. <laughs> it's like, where's the space and time for that? And that's not like a sense of like, I'm too busy, but like, you know, what, what are we doing with our time? If we're, if we have that, um, I don't know if there's a conclusion to that thought, except it's just, wow. Well, but I think you raised two really, in, two really interesting points in that one is the accountability piece. Um, are we being honest with ourselves? Right. Um, what, what, what causes you to be willing to take this risk of, of hurting people, you know, uh, what was going on in, in his or hers or their lives that a- allowed them to suspend all good judgment, <laughs> right? Um, and and then make time for it. Uh, so that accountability piece is it's a it's a it's an accountability to the congregation and to one another, but it's also an accountability to yourself. I mean, the guest talked about immediately going into therapy. Uh, you know, after all this or, you know, during and after all of this and how important that was for their own well-being. Um, I mean, that, that takes us, you, you used the phrase EQ early on in the conversation, but that takes a tremendous amount of EQ to say, I, I can't do this alone. Uh, I, 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 sh- I don't have somewhere to process this that is safe. Um, uh, I'm not well as a result of this. All right, folks, that's it. Visit clergyconfessions.com. If you have a story to tell or if you need help with coaching through some particular challenges you're facing as a minister, or if you're a congregation that has some conflict that you need help navigating, visit clergyconfessions.com and submit a form to us today. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and whatever Twitter's now called. Don't forget to like and rate and review this episode as well as the podcast. We'll see you next time in the confessional.